Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I want to say welcome to everybody streaming the service online. Honored to have you guys with us this morning. And hey, let's thank our worship team again for their ministry to us. So grateful. And uh, Keith, I appreciated so much what you just shared about Matt and Nadia. And uh, I'm just so thankful for both you guys. We're going to send you to, to Gainesville area begrudgingly. I told Matt when we first learned that they were going to be moving on up there, um, I said, we're going to miss you. And I said, I'm going to pray prayers of forgiveness. Uh, And uh, they've been uh, such a great part of our church. I want to say this real quickly. Uh, In the early days of Community of Hope, uh, we had a family uh, that was here, and they were going through some challenges in the very early part of our church. And um, the way our church sort of wrapped our arms around them embedded uh, into the fabric of our fellowship, uh, really a culture of compassion uh, that has been uh, established. They're back in our fellowship now, have moved back into the area. And, and I think I want to say the same thing to you guys. What you've offered, what you've taught us, what you've modeled for us has been just so beautiful. And Nadia and Matt, we're going to miss you guys, and we love you and so thankful for you. And I want to say this, too. I was sharing with a 9 o'clock hour um, Watson, little Watson up here. He is the first four-legged partner that has been welcomed into our church. And I, I shared that at nine o'clock and he, look, he's still asleep on the floor. So he's completely unimpressed with anything that I say, but anyhow. Hey, I want to, uh, before we dive into the content today, super challenging message. We had a challenging message last week. We're going to go one more round. You got another round in you? Come on, because I'm going to bring the fire today. Uh, this is going to be challenging. But um, I want to say before we do that, I want to remind everybody, like Keith mentioned, prayer night Thursday. And uh, we have been just participating as a church family into what we call 21 days of prayer. And uh, we're going to see the culmination of that in a prayer night uh, this Thursday, English at Locks Edge Campus, uh, Spanish, uh, which my friends tell me over there, the language of heaven, Spanish, the language of heaven, this is what they say on our West Palm campus, so wanted to mention uh, that as well. All right, uh, here's what we're going to do again this week. Last week, if you'll remember, I taught you a prayer. How many of y'all remember the prayer that I taught you last week? Let me see, show of hands, two of us. (laughs) Super good. So stand to your feet. I'm going to teach you this prayer again. We're going to pray it again. And uh, if if you don't want to do it, you can watch, but um, if you want to participate, uh, you can. This is a prayer that's been meaningful in my life, and I'm going to been praying it a lot lately. I'm going to teach you how to pray it. Let's just get a posture like this. And uh, this is a confessional prayer. We're going to say, Lord Jesus, I confess the natural posture of my life is to fight for myself. It's to defend myself. It's to force something to happen. But I choose, as a follower of Jesus, a posture of surrender. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. So take my life, all of it. You can have my burdens. You can have my blessings. I give you my future. 
I give you this moment. And then would you do this and would you repeat after me if you're willing, Lord Jesus, I confess the natural posture of my life is to take, it's to hold, it's to keep. But I choose as a follower of Jesus to open my hands and open my life in a spirit of generosity. Freely I have received. And this is where we tell them what we need. So you can just tell them, Lord, I need grace. Lord, I need mercy. Lord, I need eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, I need courage. I need forgiveness. Lord, I need hope. Lord, I need wisdom. Lord, I need welcome. Uh, I need friends. I need family. You can tell them whatever you need. And then, and then I pray this. I invite you to pray it with me. Freely I have received. Freely I give. God, give me the courage to find places today to share what you've given me. And then lastly, would you do this? Lord Jesus, I confess the natural posture of my life is to spectate. It's to critique. It's to stand back and to say it's not my problem. But I choose as a follower of Jesus to open my life to others, to the person on the other side of the planet, the person on the other side of the room, to the least, to the last, to the lost. I say to them, here I am. I see you. And you are welcome here in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a round of applause. Would you praise God? Praise God. You can be seated. Praise God. We're going to need that posture this morning. We're going to jump into our message for the day. I want to encourage you to grab your app, grab your notes, grab your journal. And we're in a series right now. We are marching our way straight through Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is probably some of the most challenging words in all of antiquity. And uh, we have decided we, uh, at the beginning of this year, we're going to march our way straight through it. So it's been uh, challenging for me as a communicator, challenging for you as a listener, challenging for all of us as followers of Jesus. And I was sharing at nine o'clock, if you've bumped into here, you just drove in here for the first time, or you tuned into this channel, I'm going to say things in this message. You're going to think, you have, I have lost my mind. And this is sort of the challenge in the day. I was thinking, I told Beth last week after last week's talk, real challenging talk on sexuality, and uh, I told Beth, I said, man, this, is, this has been sort of, you know, pedal to the metal. And, and so I want to tell you, after we get through the Sermon on the Mount, I'm working right now on an eight-week series on my favorite flavors of ice cream. <laughs> and I thought, we're just going to slow this thing down a little bit. 
and uh, maybe not dig uh, as deep. But if you were with us um, last week, we had a challenging uh, conversation about sexuality. Appreciate the encouragement from so many of you. Our goal really last week was to get a conversation moving in our church around an important topic. And I just want to say as your founding, as your lead pastor, uh, I see so many of us struggling in, in this area. I mean, all of us have been hurt by sex, confused by sex. There's lots of narratives out there. And, and I thought, you know, here's the thing right now in our culture, right? You, you, you might hear a conversation here if churches are willing to have that conversation. And I endeavor for our church to be willing to have that conversation. Amen. And, uh, you know, but you're going to hear something here. You're going to hear something different at work. You're going to hear something different maybe with all your friends. And so a lot of us just struggle and the, and, and the confusion is there. And so, you know, last week, really, my goal was to create a space. It was a lot and was to create just a space to get some conversations um, going because um, I want to add my voice, honestly, to the voice of everything that's happening uh, around right now. And I know, I know uh, lots of opinions. I know that, um, you know, maybe even shades of disagreement or outright disagreement. And so I appreciate the grace and the courage to be able to say things that I feel very, very strongly about. Um, but I, I know too, part of the narrative of our day is when we disagree that we have to hate the person we disagree with. That's what's going on in our culture. It's going to have direct relevance to what I want to share earlier today. And I want to resist that narrative, right? I want to resist that. And I want to say, even where there are shades of disagreement or outright disagreement, we do not have to vilify. We do not have to hate the other person. Anybody that's married knows that's true, right? (laughs) Anybody that's married knows that's true. You're going to just have areas of disagreement. I know, strange as it may sound, Beth and I do disagree occasionally. She's normally wrong. And she normally comes around to my point of view. That was a little warmer than it was at <laughs> nine. But um, yeah. And so um, here's the interesting thing about all this disorientation. And if you're taking notes, this is what I want you to remember. Uh, Jesus is not orienting in this sermon. He's not orienting people toward the Christian way. Uh, he is actually disorienting people toward the Christian way. There's almost a radical unlearning that has to take place before you learn. How many of y'all know that's true? I, I played a lot of baseball growing up, and I had, when I first started out playing baseball, I had a weird little hitch in the way that I would swing the bat. And finally, there was a coach who took me aside and said, that feels right to you, but if you will trust me, he said, I'm going to dismantle the way you swing and help you actually swing, which he said, by the way, might actually help you, you know, hit the ball. (laughs) And that was a radical idea for me. Like, oh, okay, you can actually hit the ball. That's cool. But anyhow, that's what Jesus Uh, is doing uh, in this conversation, and he doubles down on it. And so we always choose a theme verse maybe to memorize sort of of the overarching verse of the whole thing. And the overarching verse is Matthew 7, 24. We're going to put it on the screen, and this is what it says for you at home or for you here. It says, and let's read this out loud. This is Jesus' words at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, therefore, say it with me, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man, or we'd say woman who has built this their house on the rock. Now, when Jesus was in this conversation, in this communication, in this message, and he was disorienting people to the Christian uh, experience, what he was doing was, you know, un, 
uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, challenging people to unlearn things they had learned, and he was taking it to another step. Remember, he said this about the message. I didn't come to abolish the law. Remember, he said this. I came to what? Fulfill it. I, come to, I came to let you see its full meaning, the full weight of really what he's trying to get at, what he's pointing toward, what he wants all of us to understand. And I uh, latched on to an interesting observation just reading the Sermon on the Mount again a few weeks later. Uh, you see this, and you see this over and over in some of the major discourses of Jesus' life. Every time he teaches, normally about agriculture, shares an illustration about ag- agriculture, and everybody gets upset with him. And he says something about agriculture, and everybody's meeting in the back of the room trying to figure out how to take Jesus out. And you kind of can read that enough, and you go, man, did they not like plants back then? Like, what is the deal? And then what, what we learn in that moment is here's what I want you to think of, because we're about to launch into the last one of these super challenging. What Jesus was doing was he was subverting the, the, the overarching cultural narrative of the day. So he was revealing lies. He was exposing truth. And he was kind of cutting a new path, sometimes even where the religious people needed to have a new path cut. And so this is really a challenging word for us uh, in these days because that's what he's doing. I was thinking about this just as a way of example, quick example, before we really get into the topic of the day. You, You think about the issue of slavery, Sometimes I've even heard, you don't hear it as much anymore, people go, well, it says, mentioned slavery in the Bible. And I said, it did, because slavery was happening. And then over time, the Judeo-Christian ethic began to push against the, the narrative, the compelling narrative of the day, where, where we looked at other human beings as less than. And as a result of that Judeo, Judeo-Christian ethic beginning to take form across the growing world, And the arc of Christian teaching that consistently pushed against that idea, that arc began to plant seeds that would eventually bring almost across the globe the idea of slavery to an end. You look at the role of women, and what you find often in Scripture is that when when the Judeo-Christian ethics showed up, and you you begin to see the arc of, of Christian history across the the dawning of the world, what you find is you go back to biblical times, women were property. And this is why we read last week that radical conversation where Jesus was invited into not just a question by the Pharisees, a test question, which is different. Remember I shared that that's a lot of like what happens on social media now. People ask you a question, and if you don't answer right, we're going to assassinate you. You know, this woke movement, the new Pharisees in my view. Yeah. And so you look at the arc of dawning uh, Christian history, and what you find is that in every way, because of the arc of Christian history, women were given dignity and protection and opportunities, and this is what happens. Now, interestingly, and we looked at this last week, the, the idea of human sexuality crossed two millennia of Christian history. It's static, which really communicates this. What Jesus has said is the way that it is. And so we cut on that challenge. And so it's kind of interesting for us to think about this. And we're going to move into this conversation because I, I want to say that many, many of you 
Many of you thought last week was the challenge message, right? Because I even had a guy that came up to me afterwards. It was really cool in a way. He had this New York accent. Whoa. And he, he said, man, I, I love you. He said, I've been waiting 65 years for somebody to preach that message. And he said, and the whole time you were preaching, I was saying, you know what I was saying to myself, pastor? I said, what, what were you saying? He said, I was saying to myself, I'm glad it's you and not me. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, so we thought last week was challenging. Um, here, here is some challenging words. This is the last disorientation uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. He offered six. This is number six. And he brings the challenge. And he wants to talk to us about our enemies. Want to have a conversation today about your enemies? Poof. He says this, beginning in verse 38, Matthew chapter 5. He says, you've heard it was said. Here's the last one he does this way. You've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, I say to you, do not resist an evil person. And if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. What? And if anyone wants to see you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. What? And if anyone forces you to go, to one, go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? I mean, don't even the pagans do that? Be perfect. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, here's the thing. Who among us is not challenged by that? I mean, if, if that doesn't sort of get in your business, right, you're, you're asleep. This is a challenge. And I would tell you, I think in many ways, this, this is the, the hardest challenge, the hardest work. And this is what Jesus calls us to. When I began uh, in sem- went to seminary the first time, it was, uh, I think it was 1985, the first time I went, and uh, I had made a decision to go to the seminary I went to based on the fact that any ministers, when I was growing up, there was such a season in my life, like many of you, that I was not really connected to the church, didn't understand it, thought it was irrelevant. And then when, when something began to shift and shimmy around in my mind and heart, and I began to sort of listen a little differently and began to sort of navigate, you know, a walk with God and then a walk with Christ and all of that, um, I began to notice an, an interesting thing that many of the, the, the men and women of God that really influenced my life were people who had kind of gone through the seminary, uh, little seminary outside of Lexington, Kentucky. And so when I felt God calling me to Christian ministry, I thought, well, I obviously have to go check that out, and maybe that's where I need to go. And I remember the first time I walked onto the property of Asbury Theological Seminary outside of Lexington, Kentucky, I thought, this is where God wants me. 
And after I got there, I began to learn a little bit more of the history and the traditions and, and all of this. And I, I, I learned that um, the, the founder of Asbury Seminary, uh, it, Asbury Seminary began really at Asbury University, which was across the street. And then they started a seminary school for people called the ministry and, and all of that. And I learned about John Wesley Hughes. And John Wesley Hughes, this great man of God who started the the college, and so I was in a class one day, and a guy said to me, he said, you know what you ought to do? It's kind of a tradition. I said, what? He said, all, all of us, you know, eventually, he said, you find your way down to the little cemetery, and you go into the center of the cemetery. There's a grave marker, and you can see John Wesley Hughes' gravestone. I was like, okay, that's cool. Maybe a little creepy, but what is cool about that? And he said, um, there's an interesting postscript on his grave marker. So one afternoon, I got out of class, and I was by myself, and I thought, no, I'm going to trip over there and see if I can find it. And I found it. I want to show, show a picture to you. And uh, this is John Wesley Hughes' grave marker. Now, notice what he said up front, founder of Asbury College, professed, advocated, defended, sanctification, second work of grace, faith conquered, lived, faith he conquered, his last resort. In his last request, tell the Asbury preachers to preach the whole truth and be true to the Bible. Amen. And I remember reading that and just feeling like, ugh. And I need to be honest with you all. I just, I, I just remember making a commitment saying, Lord, if I'm going to do this work at all, I want to try, to try to live into that. And then a little bit later on in seminary, I was learning about the ethic and the way of Jesus that always works counterculturally to what the culture is offering to us. It's always almost directly opposite of that in many ways. And I had to study uh, the, the work of a, of a theologian. He was a Swiss theologian. His name was Karl Barth. I want to show you his picture, an endearing, gentle little man. Look at his picture. Swiss uh, Protestant theologian, and he wrote a, a, a tome, listen to this, y'all, called Church Dogmatics. Like, this is the ethic of the kingdom. This is the way the kingdom is supposed to work. Six million words. 9,000 pages. It's why he looks like that. (laughs) The dude needs a nap. But I want to tell you what he said, buried in those one, in fact, somebody asked him one time, I I should, you know, he was gone, I think, by the time I got seminary, but but somebody asked him one time, so, so, hey, Carl, if we don't get to read like all nine thousand pages, all six million words. Could you just give for all of us the cliff note version of what you're trying to say? And you know what he said? So cool. He said, sure, I'd be glad to give it to you. It goes like this. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. How about that? But he says in church dogmatics, this quote, super powerful to me, the church exists to set up in the world a new sign which is radically, look at this, radically dissimilar to the world's own manner and which contradicts it in a way which is full of promise. When you and I choose, right? So I choose as a follower of Jesus to live the ethic of the kingdom Okay? Forces of darkness fall. Strongholds are broken. The reign of God's kingdom, which we'll often pray, right? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, say it with me, on earth 
as it is in heaven. We pray that prayer. It, it, it can actually become possible. And no greater, no more challenging place is that possible. Or does it show up? Or does it look the most radical than in the way you and I treat our enemies? And so I think this is why Jesus saved it for the last one. Because there's almost, there's, there's almost a, a sense where we feel like we can't, we, Lord, it's, it's too much. In fact, if you think back when we started this series, I, I said to you, that's why many people will read the Sermon on the Mount and they'll go, you know, that's not really something we're supposed to live. It's just an ideal The only problem with that is in Matthew 7, verse 24, the theme verse, right? What does it say? He or she who puts these words of mine into what? Practice. And all we can do in the Christian faith is this. We just practice. And when we don't get it right, we get to get up another day and we get to practice. And then we might bump our nose over here and then we pull back and we reorient and we practice. And practice, interestingly, which is what I almost entitled this message, makes what? Perfect. Be ye therefore perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And uh, I was thinking about this because, you know, here's what I know. I don't want to, I never would, I would never want to be callous to the idea that many of us in this room know what it is to have an enemy. Uh, Many of us have places in our lives where we're broken, where we're wounded. I remember, again, seminary. I was in a seminary class and taking a pastoral ministry class, and the guy said, you know what? When you get out into ministry, he said, you're going to invite your congregation. Over and over again, you're going to deal with what he called the three M's, where most of us have our pain. And I said, what are the three M's? And the professor said, moral mistakes, old mottos, and bad memories. And all of us have these places where it's broken. And you know, like last week when we talk about our sexuality, it's it's so personal to us. So many of us have shame and confusion around all of that. But but when, we, but when we talk about how we treat our enemies and how we defend ourselves, it, it almost feels like, if I could be honest with you, it almost feels like it's a justifiable right. I can remember as a young man, my dad teaching me as a young boy how to defend myself. I remember one neighborhood we lived in in Tampa where there was a, just a bully. He was just a, a bully. I'd say other words, but then I would... I would, I would, yeah, I would do it wrong what I told you two weeks ago, right? <laughs> and I remember my dad saying one day, he said, you know, the only, the only way that's going to stop is when you defend yourself. And I, I remember thinking, well, I was hoping you would defend me. <laughs> and he said, you know, you're going to come in a moment, so you have to defend you. And I can remember, I can remember my, my dad and my older brother teaching me how to defend myself. And then the moment came when I confronted the bully in the neighborhood, and my dad and my brother watched me. <laughs> no, nope, I'm not even making this up. And I, I can remember thinking, 
why aren't you helping me right now? But they were watching me. And, and sometimes when, you, when we talk about what we're talking about today, here's the challenge that many of us think. Are you asking us not to fight? Like there are things that we should have conviction about. Should we not fight? And here's the interesting thing. I'm not telling you not to fight. But I'm just telling you how to fight his way. Let me show you what I mean. Before the law and the code of the Judeo-Christian ethic began to emerge in the world, most of the world lived by a theme. If you're taking notes, I would say it is this. Here's the theme, unlimited revenge. Here's, Here's the idea. You have an enemy. Here's what you do. You crush your enemy. That's what you do. And you can, you can, you see that in the world. You can see that down through history. Crush the enemy. Just crush the enemy. Uh, in fact, I would ask you this. Do you see it today? Do you, do you see it in our politics? Come on. Do you see it on social media? Right? Just crush the enemy. Man, I don't agree with you. Crush you. And that was the, that was, the rule of the day. In fact, you read the Old Testament, many don't know this, buried in the theme of the Old Testament when God's people were moving into the promised land, God created through his people what was known as cities of refuge. And this was this idea, think with me about this for a moment, this idea that if somebody committed a wrong, even, even by mistake, like manslaughter, you didn't, like somebody falls off your roof and they die, Because they died, that was an offense against a family and a tribe and a system. They would crush you and take you out. And so what began to emerge in the Old Testament were were these things called uh, cities of refuge, places like Ramoth and Basar and Kadesh and Shechem and Hebron uh, near the Jordan River, all these places deemed cities of refuge. And if somebody could get there to that city of refuge, they were free from what? Unlimited revenge. Now, that was the ethic of the day. Still yet today, every now and again, you see it. Now, Moses comes along, goes up the mountain, comes down with Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments is no longer murder. And right there, here's what God was doing. Ready? God was going, click. And no longer would there be, would it be appropriate to have unlimited revenge it now clicked to, you, you can probably see it, Jesus is speaking to it, what's called limited revenge. We just said it. No longer is it, you've created an offense for me, I'm taking you out and taking your family out. Now it's this. It's an eye for an eye. It's a tooth for a tooth. In the way you've been wronged, you can, it's appropriate for you to wrong somebody or get get even in that way. This is called limited revenge. But here's what I would remind you. When you get even with your enemies, what does it make you with your enemies? Even. Who right now would think about their enemy and go, you know, the goal of my life is to be even with my enemy. Right? So here comes Jesus. Look at this, y'all. It's brilliant. So you have heard it said, but I say unto you. Okay? And he's going to right there, right there, he's going to click one more time. 
Unlimited revenge? Limited revenge. Watch this one. It's a big one. Unlimited love and grace. What? It's right there when most of us go, he didn't really mean. (laughs) Right? I don't think he really meant. And here's the struggle with that. You notice what Jesus does in Matthew 5.48? He doubles down. Man, this Jesus. Can I just tell you about Jesus? He just wins. He just wins. It just keeps unfolding and unfolding. Unlimited love. And then he defines it. Here's how he says, here's how you do it. This is so crazy to me. He says, uh, and, and let me just say, I'm going to test you, see if you get it right. He says, somebody strikes you on the cheek. Give him the other one. Did I say it right? I did. I did. What did he say? Somebody strikes you on the right cheek, which is this way. It's really Jesus is pointing at when you get backhanded. It's like really it's, a, it's an offense of your character and your dignity. You're not slap. You're not even worthy of my time. And Jesus says right there, you turn and give him the other cheek that lines up with that hand as a way to say, as a way to fight and say, my dignity is something you can't take from me. It comes from the Lord. Now that's challenging. But he goes again. And then he says this, he says, um, if somebody takes your coat Give them the other, which is an assault on our property. Right? A lot of us have strong opinions about our property. (laughs) A couple years ago, I I had a, I I was in the backyard. I'll say it real quickly. Our our yard backs up to a preserve. Next to the preserve is is a canal. And I looked over there and I hear this commotion and there are these two young guys, a tall guy and a not so tall guy. And they were, they were arguing with this dude whose house was on the other side of the canal. And they were throwing rocks at this guy's car. And uh, I was watching this, this go down and I was like, man. And I, I thought about getting involved in this. Eh, not my business. You got to deal with it. And I go walking out to my front yard and all of a sudden I hear this commotion. And these two dudes are running between my house. And, and the taller guy with longer legs is outdistancing the other guy. It's sort of like the old illustration you've heard if a bear comes out of the woods. I don't need to outrun the bear. I just need to outrun you. And, and the guy gets right to my front yard, the, the not-so-tall guy, and he falls down. And this dude is on him. And this dude is cut. He looks like he is a wide receiver for the NFL. And he picks this kid up. And, and I thought, this kid is going to die in my front yard. And this guy, this guy picks him up, and he kind of dusts him off. And he says, you are not going to fend my property. I work hard for everything I have, and you are not going to disrespect my property. 
And I thought, you know, he looks over at me and I'm doing this, <laughs> you know? And he goes, and then he tells this guy this, he says to him, he says, you know what? He said, I don't think my property's mine. God's given it to me. And if you just ask me, you got a need? You, I mean, I'd help you. But you're not going to disrespect what my wife and I have worked hard to own. And I was like, man, watching this go down. And I look at the tall, skinny guy. He's still he running down. He's, and, and this guy goes, you see your friend? And he goes, yes. And he goes, take me to where your friend is running. And he was like, yes, sir. And he walks him down there and he tells him the same story. He flipped the script. This is what Jesus is asking us to do. And he flips it one more time. He says in the final analysis, he said this, you know, if anyone forces you to go to one mile, you go with them another mile. It's the assault on our personal liberties. Here's the thing I want you to remember. When you play like the world, you look like the world. Rick Warren says it this way. I love it. He says, he says, you are, you look most like Jesus when you refuse to retaliate. Because when you want to get even with your enemy, it makes you even with your enemy. And Jesus flips it. He even said it this way, when we were enemies of the cross, he made us his friends by giving his life a ransom for all humankind. So you're going to have um, real opportunities this week with your enemies, right? And the temptation and the challenge will be to get even. But I want to remind you when you get even with your enemies, say it with me, you're even. Don't be even. And I would say this though, if they do get in your car and they say they're going to hurt you, you can say, I'm going to heaven and you're going to hell. <laughs> Could say that, maybe not, maybe not. So let me pray for you. Uh, Lord, uh, all of us in those spaces, all of us in those difficult broken, hurtful spaces. You manifest compassion to us. There's not a single thing that we have gone through or will go through that the word says that you cannot identify with us. And so I thank you for that, that you understand. God, give us grace, give us courage that we might be the kinds of people in every place we find ourselves to be the one, even if we're by ourselves to flip the script so that your kingdom ethic will reign and rule in our lives and in our world until heaven comes to earth. This we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, go in his grace and mercy. We'll see you next weekend.